Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome along to a special bonus edition of Le Bourgeois. We're absolutely delighted to be able to bring you an interview with the Marseille and Nancy legend Tony Cascarino. And remember, we welcome your feedback on our email, league1podcast at gmail.com. And please do rate us on the different podcast platforms. Now, Cascarino joined Marseille at a fascinating time. The Southern Giants had been crowned European champions in 1993, but a year later they were relegated to France's second division following the infamous match-fixing scandal. Club president Bernard Tappy turned to the strapping Irish international striker to get them back up. By scoring 70 goals in two seasons, the man nicknamed Tony Goal played his way into the hearts of the OM fans. Cascarino was equally cherished at Nancy, where he played from 1997 to 2000, and indeed to this day, he is only the second footballer after Michel Platini to have been granted the freedom of Nancy. In this fascinating chat, Tony Cascarino tells us all about his six wonderful years in France, starting with how this surprising move to Olympique de Marseille came about in 1994. Well, while I was in America training for World Cup 94, Matt, um, I'd had a number of messages in those days. Now I'm going to sound real, really like a dinosaur. It was fax machine messages. Um, Notts County were interested. Um, Blackpool uh, was another one. So there was all lower league in in England. And uh, I was sitting at the table with John Sheridan, who played for Sheffield Wednesday uh, and Republic of Ireland. And John said to me, don't rule out Blackpool. It's got a great big dipper ride there. And I, I sort of looked at him knowing he was being very sarcastic and some cheers, John. And uh, a few days later, I got a fax from Brian Roach, who was, uh, oh, sorry, Dennis Roach. Sorry, Dennis Roach it was, who who sent me a message that Marseille were interested in me. So I took the fax down to dinner and said to John Sheridan, have a look at that, John. And he, he looked at him and he went, oh, well, with the swear words, I don't know where he's allowed to use them, Matt, but it was basically, <laughs> I'll go and do one. Uh, no way, they were the European champions in 93 and they were interested in taking me. I didn't know the circumstances, if I'm brutally honest. At that particular time, Marseille obviously had been relegated and they couldn't buy any players. They were looking for free transfers, international, which don't normally come hand in hand because obviously internationals normally have a premium on, on a price. Um, and luckily uh, for me, that the opportunity came because of, because of the desperate situation of Marseille Football Club. Yeah, Marseille um, won the European Cup in 93. They actually finished second in the league the year after yeah. that, but they were relegated after the match-fixing scandal. When you when you joined, um, they were a second division team, but they just, you know, you were replacing, not replacing all of these guys yourself, but Rudy Vola, Sonny Anderson, Dragan Stojkovic, Eric Demeco, Didier Deschamps. Um, uh, not, not an easy task. <laughs> no, do you know the funniest thing of this, Matt, was... When I signed and I went down to the uh, bureau uh, in Marseille to, to the office to, to chat and negotiate, as I walked in, Rudy Fuller was walking out and it felt really surreal because he was the obviously the ex-number nine. I think he went to Roma at that time. He's walking out and he looked at me and said, good luck, Tony. He said, you'll love Marseille. And that was just really weird. The first time I'd 
I never crossed paths with Rudy Boyle. It was literally across the, the office in, in Marseille. So it was um it was a strange one. And it made me realise, you just mentioned the great Sonny Anderson, who was a great player for Marseille, um, and then Rudy Vula. And if you go back, you know, Moser, Waddle, uh, Desai, just some great players that represent that club. And Jean-Pierre Papin, realising that I was going to wear the number nine shirt of the, the iconic number nine of a club that had had Francescoli, Papin, you know, just was wow. This is a great chance for me to really, you know, reinvent myself, if you like, Matt. What's interesting, because I've, I've uh, done a little bit of research, uh, reading, reading up about that time, and uh, people, you know, on the face of it, they'll think, well, hang on, Marseille were European champions before, they've been condemned to, to second division football, but it was actually a crazy period. And, and a lot of Marseille fans feel it was one of the most sort of exciting one of the fondest periods they they remember because they loved that team they loved the team that you were involved in and there were I mean there were some you know some quality players you had some internationals yeah. didn't you um Cassoni was there for Ferreri um yeah. Durand as well and Jean-Philippe Durand, Cassoni, Marcel Dib. and but they seemed to like the fact that you were just you you, you were and I don't mean this in a condescending way but hard honest footballers who who really fought for for Marseille even if it was in the second division yes and I think they they recognized the team and the character the age of the players a lot of us were in our you know early 30s some in like Jean-Philippe Durand mid 30s Bernard Casney mid 30s Marcel Dib so there was an element of young players given a chance and there was the older guys that weren't quite ready to quit yet. And someone like me coming in was an, obviously an international that they probably, I don't know, they took me to their heart pretty quickly. It was a team that you were, I think they trusted and they knew that we're wearing the shirt with blood and sweat. And I think sometimes we forget fans. They'll forgive you for a lot of things. But if you don't commit and try and run hard, which we did, they'll forgive a lot. They knew we weren't as technically as good as some of the previous players we mentioned, Matt. But they they just saw us thinking, you know, we've been relegated as a club. We'll take it on the chin. These guys are the best people to come up and go, do you know what? We'll stand beside you and the fans and, and try and prove to everybody in French football that Marseille will b- bounce back. And we did. I didn't give the uh, the stats, the goal stats. Uh, Marseille seventy goals in one hundred and five games. They called you. Is it is is it true? They called you Tony Goal. Did you get that quite a lot? Yeah, I went from Tony or Cascarino no goal to Tony Goal in France. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tell you what, Matt. I'm brutally honest. I never worked as hard as I did in my game, um, and I think the fear and being vulnerable played a big part because obviously I signed for Marseille. It's a contract that came out of nowhere. And I could have easily gone to League Two, League 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 One in, in in England, and gone down the slippery slope. I think the excitement of me joining—I played for big clubs, Matt, in my career. You know, I started at the lower end, but when you start thinking of Chelsea, Aston Villa, Celtic, and then go to Marseille, you know, I, play, I played international football. So it, to me, it was that I just. I just got excited the moment I wore that shirt. And I, I never worked as hard as I did in that period in my in my fitness, physical condition. And I played probably about three to four kilos lighter than I ever did in France. And that was massive for me. It really made a huge difference. 
Is that was that the 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 food and the drink? I'm I'm very lucky. I married a, a lady from Marseille, and every time I go down to the to the in-laws, you know, we eat, we eat some wonderful seafood. We, you know, it, they 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 know how to live, don't they? Down on the Mediterranean. yeah, they do, Matt. But let's be honest, British football at that particular time was full of teams going on sessions, and even teams that are winning things going out during the week. You know, it's well documented the amount. Of teams you know Liverpool had it in the 80s and by the early 90s Arsenal won the, the Premier League and I oh, will say the old division one and it was it was very well documented that a lot of these boys would have the Tuesday clubs and the Wednesday clubs they were you know everywhere in the game at all levels in England and I went I it didn't suit me I needed try hard training I needed whipping I needed a coach to really push me physically and when you did you got a different player I was half the player I was when I wasn't fit and, and I knew that. And I mean, I played at Celtic at 14 stone eight and struggled, looked lethargic. And I remember weighing myself at Marseille and I was 13 stone six before the game. And some, some players, I couldn't believe how, how I could run, you know, doing 400s and 800s regularly. And it, as I, I, I grew in confidence, my, my whole ability to score goals, I, it, it just all manifested from being in fantastic condition, which a sportsman should be. And just tell me a bit about, about the velodrome. And just to give our, our listeners a bit of context, Marseille are just a, a huge club. They're a bit like a religion in, in, in France. They're still the most popular, the most followed uh, football club in France, despite PSG's uh, emergence recently. Um, and just, again, reading up a bit about that period, apparently Telefoot, which was the Sunday morning programme, they, yes. they started always with the resume of Marseille, like the highlights, what Marseille have done this weekend. They called it the... Uh, the, the the super de deux, the, like the super second division. I don't, so you know, it, yes. it kind of transformed the way the second division was was, was looked at. And that velodrome, because it was the old velodrome before the '98 World Cup, which 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 was smaller in terms of capacity, but it was much more of a cauldron, wasn't it? Because the corners were, were filled in, yeah. and by all accounts, the atmosphere was just incredible. Yeah, um, I mean, I always get people compare to comparisons of other stadiums and derbies and blah, blah, blah. I can say on European night in Marseille, because we played the, the old UEFA Cup, was extraordinary. You know, the fireworks going off, just the atmosphere with all the winners, the Yankees, the Ultras, and all these different groups that followed Marseille religiously. It was extraordinary, and it, it, it excited me. I just Even you talking to me now, Matt, makes me feel strange, makes me feel proud. Um, but you're right, Marseille is a club, and I've said this many a time, Matt, that only should play one way, and it's with brave, heart, everything that you associate with. A, you know, don't play counter-attacking football. Don't play possession-based football. Marseille is about, if you go there, you're in a cauldron. You're going to face a team that's going to be coming at you from every angle, just like I had to go to Manchester United and, and Liverpool's in years gone by. Marseille should never have a football style that isn't built on courage and bravery. And sometimes when I watch Marseille, and I worked on French football in England for IGM, and, and I've got to say, I watch Marseille and I'll be pulling my teeth out because I just don't recognise a counter-attacking style of Marseille at the Velodrome. Because the fans demand a team that goes for, like it says in their shirt, droit à bout. And when you look at that on their, you know, their mascot or you look at that, badge that tells you everything about the style that to me is Marseille 
Absolutely. You talked about the European um, runs. You played in the UEFA Cup that year. Before, I think, before you played Olympiacos, I think Marseille knocked Olympiacos out. You played Juventus in a friendly that was arranged for for for, for Deschamps, well, in Deschamps' transfer. Yeah. Is that, did, you, did you feature in that game? Yes, Matt, and I'm so glad you remembered that. And I'm so glad you're a good enough journalist to actually do your homework. Because if someone said my most favourite game I played in French football, it was a friendly against Juve at the Velodrome. I played the game, we won 2-0 and I got them both. And ah. it was a, so it was a very proud night for me. And the centre-half was called Kohler uh, for Germany. Yeah. And I, uh, I played against him six months before in a build-up to the World Cup of, of 94. And we won. Republic of Ireland won 2-0 and I scored. And he was playing for Juve. And on that night, he marked me. And after the game, he shook my hand and he said to me, you're not the same player as you were six months ago. I won every header. I ran him ragged. I just chased everything. And I know, because they told me this afterwards, Juve couldn't believe that they'd got me uh, and said, where did you find him? The centre-forward. Uh, for a free transfer. And it was, again, you know, okay, it might have been an exaggerated story, but I was told that days after the game um, by one of the officials that they were so surprised that I came on a free because I played that well that night. Uh, so, yes, that game, I'm so glad you've mentioned it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a few games, that big games that, that, that you scored in. I didn't know that you got those two goals against Juventus. So, so you know, that was yeah. a piece of, luck, piece of luck for you there. But, um just to talk about one or two individuals, um, Bernard Tappy, of course, um, is you know a legendary name. Um, not everybody uh, is is a fan of his, and of course, um, he's had he's had his uh, his issues. Let's let's say, but he's still a huge legend in 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 Marseille and the man behind that in incredible period. Did you have much contact with him? Did, did was he influential in signing you? <laughs> yes. I went to Paris to sign, um, or, well, negotiate. The first meeting was in Paris to negotiate, and the second meeting was to go to Marseille and sign when I crossed uh, Rudy Vula. Um, and when I went to his chateau in Paris, um, there were removal vans coming out of, the, of his building. And I was like, this is really weird. There's all these trucks keep coming out. And didn't think much of it. And he spoke broken English to me. His English was okay. But I obviously knew zero French. Um, and we were talking and he, um, and he asked me, one of the things he did to me, first of all, he said to me, <coughs> what do you play like? And I've gone, and before I've gone to say something, he's gone, are you like Hoddle? And put his bum up. And I went, no, not like Hoddle. And he went like a Waddle? And put his bum up. And I've gone, no, I'm not like Waddle. And he went, Stephen? Trevor Stephen? No. And he went, Hately? And I went, yeah. And he put his thumb down to me. <laughs> so like, I looked at him and thought, you know exactly what I am. You've brought me to be a big centre forward and you have a certain way you want to play in Division 2. But he was like that. We, You mentioned the Olympiacos there, Matt. And when we played Olympiacos away, I talked to a journalist from England before the game. And he saw me chatting. I was chatting away. And we came in at half time and we were I missed two sitters in the in the first half. And from nowhere he launched into me and said, How much they pay you? How much? How much? He kept doing this. And I was like, What? Uh, two occasions, two occasions, you missed, you missed. And going and he was literally going. So I told him to where to go. I said, Oh, 
aircraft uh, to him. And he took his jacket off and come over to me in the dressing room with his literally his arms rest, his fists clenched. And all the lads jumped in between me and Tappy. And I'm still telling him where to go. And they're like, no, 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 no. calm, calm, calm. And this is all in a half time at Olympiacos. Of course, we go out second half, we win the game, we win. When we get back to the, uh, the training ground, uh, the commander in Marseille the next day, he pulls up in a car on the pitch while the game's going on, comes out of the car and comes up to me and says, uh, you big uh, bullser, big bullsewer. And I just <laughs> laughed. It was just really weird. But he was um, a maverick. I think the one thing that, that always stood out for me is that Tappy really knew his football and knew what he wanted from his team. And his demands were extraordinary. Um, he could lie. He could tell you <laughs> he'd miss all, you know, like, but strange, an incredible personality. Yeah, fantastic stories, fantastic stories. He wasn't there for, for, for much longer, though, was he? Where He was only there, for, what, for a few weeks no. when you were at Marseille? Well, no, nearly lasted, I think, about nine months, Matt, okay. uh, before the... Because obviously we found out at the end of our first season that we we couldn't be promoted um, because um, obviously there was still other issues that we had to get promoted to stay in Division Two, if you like. Yeah, so Marseille were not allowed to go up because the uh, the financial watchdog in France said that they don't have the finances in place yet to to be allowed to go up into the second division. I think there were still three games left in the season when it was announced that mm. you're not going to be able to go up to the top flight. What was that? What was that like for you and, and the rest of the team? Um, you were top, weren't you, Tony, at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think it was... Well, I know what it was like. The dressing room was very, you know, obviously players start to think about, well, do we get our bonuses? Did we get promoted? <laughs> you know, like, because we'd, we'd done our job. Um, it was still very much in the air, up in the air. There was a takeover in place. Uh, it was... I, I don't think, because of the mentality and the experience within our squad, it was like, well, if we have to go again, and it, the onus was really on getting promoted, because the last thing the club needed was to, to not get promoted and then get relegated again, Matt. So that was the bigger issue. So that it was still like we'd achieved something, even though we didn't go to D1. The achievement was staying in the division for to go again next year instead of the club going down again. There were some pretty amazing games, I think, in the 95-96 season. So you scored 30-plus goals in, in, in both of your league seasons, so your full seasons at, at, at Marseille. In that second season, when you did get promoted, um, I think you finished second in the end because you had quite a difficult start to the season. Um, Henri Stambouli was sacked and Gerard Gilles came in and, and, and replaced him. Um, fantastic second half to the season. Um what what was that like when you know when you felt you you had this momentum? I think you went to the cup semi-finals and had a very tough yeah. penalty shootout defeat to to Auxerre. I mean, it, it must have been a, like an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, it, it's, you know, like in many times in sport, Matt, it's it's going once and achieving something, then you go again and can you do it again? Um, yeah, I I actually I didn't play as well in the second season, but I scored more goals. Um, and I got a lot of pivotal goals in the second season, which was which was lovely. And I wasn't quite as good. I, I felt I just not. I, I really first six months of Marseille, I played so well when I joined the club, and it was the best period of my career. The second season was a bit more of a slog. It was a battle, and we were there to be shot down as a team. Um, but it was it was just. I mean, look, 
it was really weird. It's, it's, you know, this sometimes happens in football clubs, Matt. That, and it's happened to teams that have been, have been in England as well, where you know you're going to get promoted, but you also know most of you are going to be sacrificed if you do get promoted. So it's like a conundrum. But it suited quite a number of the team because of the age of four or five players. And like myself, you know, if we get promoted, would I start the football club? So there was lots of, yes, we've, we're up there, but I, I know half the team probably thought, yeah, we got promoted and we get a bonus, but we'll be chucked out of the club now. <laughs> so yeah. it's quite a weird scenario. I'd noted down a, a couple of games in, in that season. There was the last game at the Velodrome before they renovated it ahead of the World Cup. And um, so it was a kind of really special game since it's such a mythical stadium. Um, Marseille beat Con 1-0 thanks to a, a, a goal from uh, uh, Tony Goal. And that, yeah. that was in February and that sent you to the top of the league. Do you remember that, that, that night? And I know you talked about the atmosphere, but is it, you know, is it the most incredible atmosphere you've experienced, that stadium? Yeah, I remember lots of things of Marseille in that stadium. And I, it was just, I, it's hardcore at Marseille. You know, Matt, you've been around it. Your wife's or your, your girlfriend's from Marseille. And you know what it means to the town. The town is, you know, you go out in the town, you're treated like royalty. You know, I mean, that's the appeal of a Newcastle, isn't it? Or Liverpool, if you're a player and you go there. And when you're in London and you're a big star, yeah, you can still be treated special. But Marseille... If it's very regional, France, isn't it? You know, yep. your yep. papers are regional. They, you know, they have much more impact with the players they meet. So you have this bond. It's a real family affair with Marseille. And, um, of course, I, I really, it, it was really like an, um, a sort of attachment to what happened with Ireland. We always felt we had that relationship with the Irish fans. Well, I had that and all the team did with Marseille. The other game I noted, I think it was the 44. First game, so probably the second last game of the season, you beat Sochaux 4-1 at home. You sealed promotion and you yeah. scored in, in that game as well. Um, so obviously, you know, a, a fond memory as well. But I mean, were you, were, were you thinking, OK, we've done it. We've sealed promotion. But were you also th thinking in the back of your mind, this could be the end for me at Marseille? Yes, absolutely, Matt. Um, because, I mean, I, there were a few things I found out afterwards, but I... I wasn't sure how they saw me because I knew that Marseille would have investment to go and buy. But, you know, because I've done so well, would players want me to, um, sorry, fans want me to stay? I didn't really know how I stood. They sort of wanted me, but I could get that sense of, mm, yeah, you, you, but move on. I, they didn't say that. They wanted me to stay and be part of it, but not like they did before. I knew that it was a, a change of guard and that happens in football. Um, so I didn't quite, I didn't seem as important. Whereas the first two years, I, it was like I was pivotal to Marseille. After that happened, then the pre-season, I had an operation on my knee just because I had a bit of a cartilage issue. And I never felt like I had after that. And Gerard Gilly was all over me, Matt. It was embarrassing. And the lads used to, you know, call him like a son of, you know, you know, the manager sort of way, you know. He was all over me. And he lived literally in the same apartment block as I did. And his relationship with me after that changed from really not bothering with me, brought in new players, brought in Xavier Gravelin, Pedros, um, you know, just just changed. And I knew that I wasn't important to him as well. And it was really weird because when we, obviously I started the new season, I didn't score early on and I had a bit of an issue with my knee. And I were, and he left me out, and I felt really weird. I'd gone so done so well to so, you know, not being involved very quickly, 
And he, he lived in the same apartment, uh, apartment block and didn't talk to me, Matt. He used to walk past me. And I was like, what have I done? What, because I'm not, you know, I've been left out. You, you're now going to ignore me. And it was just a really weird way to handle it. I never, I say forgave him. I never thought the same of him after that, Matt, because I thought, just talk to me. I'm an experienced pro. I'm 34 years old. You can be real to me. You can be honest. If I don't like what you're going to tell me, I'll deal with it. Okay. Yeah, and you've, done, you've done a hell of a lot to get them to get them up as well. I mean, yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't owe me anything. Uh, you know, that yeah. means that we're going to a new division, different challenges. But treat me like a man. You know, Matt, just treat me like. Look, Tony, thanks for everything done. I'm looking to go a new direction. Um, if you can find me somewhere else, I'd, I'd have had to have taken. I would have liked it, Matt, but I yeah. took it on the chin to custom pie me. Sorry for the, you know, the South London Express. So it was just ridiculous. And I'm living in the same apartment block. I'm going to the commandery and I'm like having this manager um, just literally blank me, you know? Yeah. So, Tony, your, your Marseille adventure came to an end in that 96-97 season. But you decided to, to stay in France, didn't you? And you, you transferred to Nancy in eastern France. Why, why Nancy? And why did you stay in France? Well, because I was, I got left out um, by Gerard Gilly, and I found myself twiddling my toenails or, or whatever. I, <laughs> I decided to go and see the president. Told him and said, "Look, don't," because they tried to ask for money for me. I was thirty-four years old, and I just said, "Look, I've achieved a lot. Let me go." You know, I'm not going to with Gerard Gilly the way it panned out. Let me go if if I can find a club. Cannot could I leave? And he said no initially because Gerard Gilly didn't want me to leave. Um, so he wanted me to stay at the club but not play so I wouldn't go and score elsewhere but I persuaded the president to let me go and he, he agreed with me because of what happened before um, I left Nancy just before Christmas in flip-flops drove up to you know being still sunny in Marseille um, drove up and um, entered Nancy with flip-flops on in the car uh, that had about six inches of snow and thought what have I done here what have I done? Uh, but to be honest, I feel I achieved everything as much as I did at Marseille because I still scored goals. And incidentally, um, I scored a hat-trick in my, in my second game for Nancy. And I know the boys at Marseille, they, they told me that Gerard Gilly had got on the bus and heard that they'd just been beaten and heard that I'd scored a hat-trick. And the president just gave him a real glare and said, Cascarino's scored a hat-trick for... Uh, Nazi against the Havre away, and it was like the lad said, Gerard didn't even move, just didn't bat an island, <laughs> which was quite it sort of felt a bit of a redemption time. But it was a it was a I, I enjoyed Nancy for the fact that Lazo Bologna, when I joined, he asked me how old I was, and I said 34. And he said, I'll get four years out of you, and I went, No way, I had no way I had four years left in me. I trained like I had before previously with Marseille, if not even harder. And he argued that if you want to keep up the young lads, you've got to train harder than them. And that's what I did. And um, it was, a, again, a huge achievement with Nancy because we got promoted. I played a part in that. But I still scored goals in the Liga uh, for Nancy. So, yeah, big, big plus. You know, Platini's father was at the club and Michelle would hear certain things at times about Michelle. And I know to come be made an honour of the city after the last sportsman, which was Michel Platini. That just tells you how well it went. It's a, it's a beautiful city. Um, it's a, a club that's got history and, and tradition. It's not as big a club as uh, Olympique de Marseille. 
But uh, Nancy, like you said, had Michel Platini, had his father, Aldo Platini. They've been managed by Arsene Wenger, by, by yeah. Emé Jacquet. Um, they've got this tradition of, uh, of, uh, of youth development as well. And just a, a question, Tony, because there have been rumours, reports in the press that the Manchester City group might be investing in Nancy, um, which, which would be interesting. I mean, they're currently in, in, in the second division. What do you make of yes. that? Um, well, always a bit like Oxley and a bit like Sochaux have always, you know, done brilliant uh, with their young players, producing talent. Um, I would I would love to see that because they're a club that's always sort of jumped between League One, League Two. That's what they've been for many, many years. Um, it's exciting, Simon, because it's a producing kids and finding a new way of finding talent, that conveyor belt. You know, I know that there are a lot of clubs in France who do it brilliantly well. They produce, they produce, they produce. And we lord Chelsea by how much they, you know, in this country of their amazing talent at youth levels. But they've done it with real, you know, a lot amount of money. Huge contribution from money coming in from, the, the, uh, uh, from Abramovich and what they've invested in their youth to have that. Nancy's and, and Oxair and Socials have done it on very, very much a shoestring budget. And, and I think it, it's great that we see big clubs have this. If we want to say football and lower league footballs around the world, we have to have big clubs that are corporations that have this uh, avenue of producing talent from just not their own academy. And I think I like that idea. What do you make of, uh, of French football, of Ligue 1 at the moment? Ligue 1, compared to, to your day, is very different now. Um, still produces a lot of talent, but of course, the, a lot of the clubs look to generate money by, by selling their players. The players um, are keen to move on because there's such a big financial uh, gulf, of course, yeah. between Ligue 1 and the Premier League and cer certain other leagues. Um, you mentioned Marseille, that, that, that you struggle to sort of relate, or you have in the past struggled to relate to the to the Marseille that you've been watching um, in, in recent years. But on a more general level, um, Ligue 1, they, there is ambition here. There's a big TV deal starting from, from, from next season. But there's a long way to go, isn't there? And, uh, you know, the, the, the Premier League continues to benefit almost more than Ligue 1 does of, of the talent here. Yes, it's, um, I mean, obviously having dominance. And we have to be really careful here because Lyon before uh, dominated, didn't they? If you go back, that Lyon president recognised the influx of money coming from Monaco and PSG was a real problem. They knew they couldn't compete. And that's been a problem. There is, there's not really anyone challenging PSG. You know, they just can't get near the numbers. They can't get near the salaries. They, and and it, this is dominance beyond what we know of Real Madrid and Barcelona and Man City and, you know, what they've done. And I talked about Man City previously. This is financial. It's nearly like so the difference of the gulf is unbelievably massive that no one can even get near. Marseille could try, but they can't get even near. So it, it's it's a dominance of nearly beyond the SPL. I mean, if you really couldn't imagine, it nearly feels like there should be a handicap system in France, as in where they are to PSG, because PSG are going to win it at cancer every year at the moment. And that long-term is not good for French football. We have teams that challenge in England. Yes, Man City have, I mean, you know, I think Man City have had 98 points last year, 100 points the year before, which was way beyond any league, the difference. But we do know that there were, over a period of time, teams will challenge Manchester City, like Liverpool have, and probably Chelsea or Man United, even Arsenal or Tottenham. 
I can't see that in French football. I don't see an avenue for anybody to even get close to them. And that's what's the most worrying. It's not that they're being dominant. Like I said, Lyon dominated, what was it, seven out of eight seasons yeah, Matt, at one right time? One. But it, it, it never felt like it does with PSG. They could go 10, 15, 20 years of the way it is at the moment. So I hope that French football gets brave and clubs like Marseille are going to challenge them with how they appoint, the type of coaches they appoint, the way they play football. Because one thing's for sure across Europe, all teams that are successful have a very on-the-front-foot style where they come after you, they attack you, they pressure you. And unless French football starts having teams doing what they've done in Germany, you know, you have teams in Germany doing that, where they, they that gulf of difference is, is not as huge. It's a chasm in, in, in France. And I think that's the, the biggest thing, the challenge is the coaches to go, do you know what, Matt? Oh, yes, they've got this. They've got their financial clout. Let's have a style that hurts them. Last question, Tony. Um, before we were, you know, just to, to wrap up quite quickly, a message for Marseille, for their, for the, for their supporters. Andre Villas-Boas, by the way, you know, he's doing a good job. They're, yeah. they're, they're in second position. It's maybe not flamboyant. But what would be your message? And um, what are your thoughts on Marseille today? Um, my message would be, the fans do what they do best and drive that football club. Make sure that their owners recognise that their fans are demanding a team that goes after everybody, plays with fearless football. Because unless it doesn't change, Marseille are not even going to be nearly also runs. I don't, when I hear the word, it's like saying, oh, we'll have an open top bust if Marseille comes second to PSG. No, no. Get away from that. It's about trying to get in front of them. And that, to me, is my... my I think they have fans that, uh, to be number one, but they don't have a football team to be number one. And, and I, I, long term, I, I hope that can change. Tony Cascarino, thank you ever so much for joining us on Le Bourgeois. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. for Enjoyed it. Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. Balotelli on the turn. Quality. Surely won it in the 89th minute. Oh, what a goal!